Today on Open the Bible, we begin a special presentation of Pastor Colin Smith's book, Heaven, So Near, So Far. This program, given in a dramatic reading, is the story of Judas Iscariot. Pastor Colin weaves together what we know from the Bible about the events of those days and views them through the eyes of Jesus' betrayer as he would have experienced them at the time and as he can understand them now. I hope this story challenges you not to give up on Jesus Christ as Judas did. This is Heaven So Near, So Far. Welcome to the special edition of Open the Bible. I'm Steve Hiller along with Pastor Colin Smith. And over the next four days, we're going to be doing something a little bit different, listening to a dramatic story of Judas Iscariot. And uh, Colin, an interesting character to spend some time on. What a fascinating character. And uh, how in the world was it possible for this man who followed Jesus Christ for three years to actually not only betray him, hmm. but yeah. to abandon him altogether? That, that question has fascinated me. How would that be possible? And yet the reality is that we see that regularly around us. People who once professed faith, who pull away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wrote this book because I really want to appeal from the heart to those who are pulling away from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to say, are you sure you really want to abandon Jesus? And I hope the answer to that from you is going to be no. I want to follow Jesus because he's of supreme value and following him is worth any cost. It absolutely is. You wrote the book, Heaven So Near So Far, the story of Judas Iscariot. And then uh, we did something that we did several years ago with the story of the thief on the cross. Actually turned that into a dramatic audio book. Yeah, that's right. And Tyler Weeks, a wonderful Christian actor, has done a superb job of bringing the text to life and set to music. I hope you're going to really enjoy this story. Get on the inside story of Judas Iscariot from the beginning of his following Jesus to the end of his life. And may it be that in hearing the story, rather than being so near to heaven and yet so far from it as he is, by God's grace, you're going to be a person who's actually there. Well, again, the title of the book is Heaven So Near So Far. It is the story of Judas Iscariot. Here is Tyler Weeks with the introduction. Introduction. I came as close to heaven as a person can be without getting in. For three years, I followed Jesus Christ and devoted myself to ministry. I was in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. I served the bread and fish when he fed 5,000 people. I was an apostle, sent out to preach the gospel. I cast out demons. I called people to repentance. But today, despite all that I did as a follower of Jesus, I am languishing in hell. Down here, we are all familiar with the story of the thief on the cross to whom Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He was on the brink of hell, but ended up in heaven. My story is different. I was at the gates of heaven, but ended up in hell. I was the disciple who betrayed Jesus. I want you to know that I was neither a helpless victim nor a hideous monster. I was a person with hopes, dreams, doubts, fears, disappointments, and frustrations very much like you. When I abandoned my faith, I felt that I had good reasons for doing so, though now I live with perpetual regret. 
In telling my story, I seek neither your pity nor your praise. I write only to describe the path by which I came to this abyss, having spent the best years of my life as a disciple of Jesus. Chapter 1 Ambition From my earliest days, I wanted people to know who I was. Thousands of people live and die without being celebrated or remembered. I hated that. I didn't want to be one of them. I was ambitious. I wanted to make a name for myself. Yet, Apart from an aptitude for numbers, the uncanny ability to calculate loans, debts, interest, and repayments, I did not possess any extraordinary gifts or talents. Intuitively, I realized that I needed to attach myself to something or someone. I needed to find a cause that would propel me, a movement that would be the making of me. I thought I might have found it when at the age of 29, I first heard rumors about an eccentric prophet who was preaching in the desert. I was curious about him, and so I decided to go and see this John the Baptist for myself. He was dressed in camel's hair, and he lived for long stretches in the desert on a diet of locusts and honey. I remember, his message was simple. Something that has never happened before in human history is about to take place, the Lord is coming. People who heard him realized that if they were going to meet God, they had better do some confessing and repenting first. And John the Baptist had a way in which they could respond to his message, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I had thought that John might be someone I could follow, but he was pointing to someone else. Whoever this person was, I wanted to meet him. It wasn't long before I did. It was when I was with the crowds in the desert that I caught my first glimpse of Jesus. John was preaching as on any other day when he saw someone coming toward him. He stopped and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John identified this Jesus as the Lamb of God, he was saying that Jesus would be the substitute who would die in the place of others, and that he would be the sacrifice whose blood would be shed for the protection of his people. This I understood, but it was what John said next that really got my attention. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Something big was happening and I wanted to be a part of it. John had said that God's reign and rule on earth was at hand. He had called people to prepare themselves by getting ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, he was pointing to Jesus and announcing that he had the ability to drench others in the power of the Holy Spirit. If even a small part of this was true, the opportunity would be enormous. This was the moment I had been waiting for. I would become a follower of Jesus. In these early days, the first disciples were sometimes with Jesus, 
but at other times they returned to their work on their fishing boats. With the circle around Jesus still evolving, I wanted him to see me as the reliable one, the one on whom he could depend, so I made it my business to show up wherever Jesus went. As Jesus moved from town to town, his pattern was to teach in the local synagogue. I would arrive early, sit where he could see me, and sure enough, it worked. When he looked at me, it was a look that said, I'm glad to see you again. One day after preaching, Jesus performed a miracle. So spectacular, his reputation spread far and wide. As usual, I arrived early and sat close to Jesus as he taught. By this time, he knew me by name, and I could count on a knowing smile from him. That small gesture was huge for me. It made me feel that I might be someone on whom Jesus would choose to depend. Teaching is never easy with the distraction of a large and restless crowd, and on this occasion, the chaos reached another level. While Jesus was speaking, I heard a noise above us and guessed people had clambered up onto the roof. How many were there, I wondered? And how long would the roof hold up? Dirt began to fall from the ceiling, and then more until a hole opened up, and looking up I could see four men had dug through the roof with their hands. Then to the astonishment of everyone in the room, they lowered a paralyzed man laying on his bed and delivered him right in front of Jesus. Now that's ingenuity, I thought. Here are people who are committed, determined, and resolved. People who know what they want and will do whatever it takes to overcome all that stands in their way. But the words that Jesus spoke to the paralyzed man were not what I had expected. Son, he said, your sins are forgiven. Why did he say that? I wondered. Forgiveness of sins is important, but it wasn't the man's most obvious need. It seemed as if to Jesus, being forgiven by God mattered more than the ability to stand up and walk. I'm not the only one who questioned this. People all around the room became unsettled. They looked at Jesus as if to say, is that it? What about the fact that this man can't walk? Others were offended that Jesus had pronounced the man's sins forgiven. Sins, by definition, are offenses committed against God, and God alone has the right and the authority to forgive them. But Jesus must have known this. He told the people that he wanted them to know he had the authority to forgive sins, and for that reason, he said to the paralyzed man, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. When the man did what Jesus said, the whole crowd was amazed. And I remember thinking, never in my entire life have I seen anything close to this. Whoever Jesus was, his ministry was taking off. And knowing that John had attracted huge crowds in the desert with his plain call to repentance, I figured there was no limit to what Jesus could do, propelled by his miraculous power. I was ambitious. I had no interest in attaching myself to an obscure cause destined to failure, but I felt that in Jesus I had found a winner. I became more determined than ever to find my way into his inner circle. 
With the crowds following Jesus growing by the day and so much competition for his attention, it was clear to me that something would have to be done to establish a fixed circle of people who would give themselves full-time to traveling with Jesus and supporting him in his ministry. With all my heart, I wanted to be one of them. One day we got word that after a whole night alone on the hillside praying to his father, Jesus was ready to choose the disciples who would share most intimately in his life and ministry. Word spread among his friends, and all of us made our way to join him on the mountain. He told us that he would appoint twelve, and that their calling would be first to be with him, second to preach, and third to cast out demons. Knowing that a life-shaping moment had come, we were all silent as we waited to hear who he had chosen. Looking at the crowd in front of him, Jesus began calling out names. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, he said, prompting the brothers who first followed Jesus to step forward from the crowd. James and John, he continued, selecting the brothers he referred to as sons of thunder. Philip and Bartholomew. So far, no surprises. Bartholomew I had first known as Nathaniel, and he, like the others, had been with Jesus from the beginning. Six of the twelve had been chosen. Six more spots remained. Matthew. Now that was a surprise. Matthew was a tax collector, which meant that he had sold out to the Romans, lining his pockets at the expense of his own people. Hardly a popular choice, nor as I saw it, a wise one. Why would Jesus trust himself to a man who had broken faith with his own people? Matthew was, to my mind, the kind of man who could easily turn out to be a traitor. Thomas, another strange choice, I thought. This man had followed Jesus faithfully, but he also asked a lot of questions. There was a certain hesitation about him. I wondered if he would be able to overcome his many doubts. James, the son of Alphaeus. I had never heard of him, and frankly, was never sure why he was chosen. Simon the Zealot. Now that was a risky choice. Simon was known as the Zealot because of his involvement in radical politics. Seeing him stand with the other nine, I wondered how it would be possible for Simon and Matthew to get along given their histories on opposite side of the political divide. Only two spots remained, and the tension was becoming unbearable. Then he called out my name, Judas. But he wasn't looking at me. He was beckoning Thaddeus, who brought all kinds of confusion because he was known by three names, Judas, Thaddeus, and Lebius. One spot left. God, please let it be me. Jesus paused. And then, looking directly at me with intensity and compassion in his eyes, he said, Judas Iscariot, I was in. And what a thrill that must have been, Colin, to be named one of the members of Jesus' inner circle. Can you imagine that? The Lord Jesus Christ actually looking at you and saying, now I want you to be with me. And that was Judas' experience. And yeah. he followed Jesus for three years. And this is the extraordinary thing that catches my mind and, and imagination. 
the experiences that he had. Right. And we're going to hear in just a few moments as to how he was sent out on mission, how he was actually used in the lives of other people. And yet none of these things are actually the things that change life itself. It's a humble faith in Jesus Christ that casts itself on him and looks to him for mercy. That's what was missing with Judas. And that's what we need to discover for ourselves. Well, we're going to continue to look at Judah's story, as Pastor Colin said. We're going to look at his mission in just a moment. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, and a special edition today as we listen to a presentation of Heaven So Near, So Far, the story of Judas Iscariot. And Colin, I can't help but think that part of the reason that Judas missed heaven is because he didn't understand what Jesus actually came to earth to do and why it was important for him to go to the cross. You write about what Jesus accomplished at the cross in the book, Six Hours That Changed the World, but why did you write that book? Well, you know, it's amazing how often six hours can come and go. They just fly by without anything of real consequence actually happening. But one Friday, about 2,000 years ago, there were six hours that really did change the world. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours and through what he accomplished on the cross, the lives of millions and the eternities of millions of people have been changed forever. And uh, the cross, of course, is at the very heart of the Christian faith. And I wrote this book so that you can see what it was that Jesus accomplished on the cross and how everything is different because of it for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the team want to send you that book, Six Hours That Changed the World. It's a gift to show their appreciation for your support of Open the Bible. Just go to the website, openthebible.org.uk and set up a regular donation of at least £5 a month to receive your free copy. Again, the website is openthebible.org.uk. You're listening to Heaven So Near So Far. It's the story of Judas Iscariot, and we continue with Chapter 2, Mission. Chapter 2, Mission. Being in the inner circle gave me a unique insight into Jesus. From the earliest days, it was clear to me that he was pursuing two strategies at the same time. The first was to reach the mass of people, bringing hope through his miracles and wisdom through his teaching. The second, and arguably the more important, was to train his inner circle. This was a shrewd decision, and without it, what transpired in his name would never have taken place. His approach to training was simple. He brought us with him to watch, took us aside to learn, and sent us out to do. Jesus often taught us through stories, or parables, as he called them. Simple stories that left a lasting impression. One of these was his story about a farmer who scattered good seed on different kinds of soil. The point of the story, as Jesus explained it, was that we should not be surprised when our efforts in ministry brought disappointing results. Seed falling on the path gets snatched away. Seed sown among thorns gets choked, and seed in shallow soil soon withers. But seed that falls on good ground will produce a good crop that could be as much as 30, 60, even a hundred times what was sown. The story reminded us 
that we should persevere in the ministry of sowing the word, even at times when we were discouraged by the immediate results. But there was another side to his teaching that always struck me as strange. In his story about the sower, he seemed to suggest that the ground in which the seed was sown represented different kinds of people. If that was the case, there would be some people on whom the ministry of Jesus would have no effect. There would be others in whom his message would produce an immediate and enthusiastic response, but it would only last while things went well with them. And in the face of trouble, their first instinct would be to abandon the faith they had professed. And there would be others, again, who, having professed faith in Jesus, would be lured away by the deceptive power of money and a desire for other things. I found this hard to imagine. Listening to the end of Jesus' story, where he described the abundant harvest, I said to Thomas, that's me. I want to see a hundredfold return on all that I'm investing into this enterprise. Speaking of strange things, Jesus said, one that stuck in my mind was when he told us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He seemed to suggest that some who had spoken truth in his name and others who had driven out demons in his name might in the end not enter the heaven they had proclaimed to others. The idea that someone blessed with the power to cast out demons in the name of Jesus would not be known by him made no sense to me. But since Jesus knew the twelve of us by name, how could these disturbing words apply to any of us? It was hard for me to imagine how anyone could be involved in ministry and not be known by Jesus. But those words stayed with me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Bad news for some, but since we were clearly doing God's work and doing it with Jesus himself, I figured I was good. From the beginning, Jesus made it clear that he was training us for ministry, and part of that training was to send us on a mission. Jesus told us he was giving us authority over demons and power to cure sickness and that he was sending us out to proclaim the kingdom of God. None of us had ever preached before, but having listened first to John the Baptist and then to the preaching of Jesus, I felt that I was ready to give it a try. The scope of our mission was limited to the area immediately around Galilee. My approach was simple. When I arrived in a village, I made it known that I was an apostle of Jesus, which immediately created interest. Word about Jesus had spread widely, and coming in his name guaranteed an audience. Once my presence in a village was known, people brought the sick to me, just as they had brought the sick to Jesus. I anointed them with oil, and to my surprise, saw many of them healed. Then there were people so possessed by the power of evil that they were unable to resist the compulsive behaviors to which these powers drove them. When they came for help, I commanded these evil spirits to depart, and to my joy, they left. I finished by calling people to repent, much as John the Baptist had done, and with similar results. The whole experience of that mission trip was exhilarating. And when we gathered to give our reports to Jesus, I found that the others had felt the same. God had been working, and he had been working through us. 
All of us were in high spirits. We felt that all things were possible. But despite the power of his miracles, the wisdom of his teaching, and the success of our mission, there were things about Jesus that caused me concern, and over time, made me increasingly uncomfortable. And Colin, there is a sense of following Jesus where I think we do need to expect to be uncomfortable at times. Well, yes, for sure. It's impossible to follow Jesus without being uncomfortable. I mean, his word about if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross daily Hmm, and follow me. Now, that, that was hard for Judas. And, you know, further down the line, everybody knows what happens, that Judas betrays Jesus. Sure. But behind every betrayal, there's a backstory. Yeah. And that's what we want to get at here in the Gospels. What was the backstory that led to this? And there was a gradual pulling away. And I want to say to you as you're listening today, if you're pulling away from Jesus Christ, please today stop pulling away because you don't want to abandon Jesus Christ. It may be uncomfortable at some point, difficult for you to follow him, but he is of supreme value and following him is worth any cost. It absolutely is. And as you're listening today, maybe this is something that you're struggling with, or it may be something that someone you know is wrestling through, and you'd like to get them a copy of this book or the audio book, Heaven So Near So Far. I hope you'll come to our website and you'll find all the information you need there. The website address is openthebible.org.uk. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For more information on Open the Bible and Pastor Colin's book, Heaven So Near So Far, visit openthebible.org.uk. And if you missed any part of the program or you'd like to hear this special series in its entirety, you can listen online at openthebible.org.uk. Do join us again next time for part two of Heaven So Near So Far. For some time. I had a growing suspicion that I might be more at home in the company of Jesus' enemies than I was in the circle of his friends. The waste of the perfume at Bethany turned that thought into a settled conviction. It was time to move on. We continue Heaven So Near, So Far, the story of Judas Iscariot on the next Open the Bible.